welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Hello and welcome to Fast Talk. I'm your host, Chris Case, managing editor of Velo News, joined as always by coach Trevor Connor, whose ailments keep piling up. Pain, injuries, sores, They are an unfortunate but nearly inevitable part of cycling. If you want to be among the best, you need to wear them with pride. And if you believe that, then get out of the 1980s. Yes, this is a sport for the tough man or woman. But save being tough for that 20% climb. Not for the aches, the pains, saddle sores you don't need to suffer through. In this day and age, most of the common overuse injuries in cycling can be addressed and prevented. It just requires taking proper precautions, getting a regular bike fit, doing off-the-bike strength work. Today, we'll talk about the most common overuse problems and how to address them, including, number one, what used to be the most common overuse injury, knee problems, why they are no longer the most common problem, and how it's possible for most of us to go through the rest of our cycling careers without one. Number two, back problems. These have eclipsed knee issues as the most common cycling complaint. Unfortunately, the cycling position is not kind to the lower back, but there are still things we can do to prevent the pain. Number three, saddle sores, numbness, and pressure issues, and how with the right saddle and fit, most of these issues can be addressed. Number four, just like the back, the cycling position can be tough on the neck, we'll discuss. Number five, feet and hands. Many of us think that numbness is just part of riding a bike, but the truth is that if you're experiencing numbness, something is wrong, and it can generally be solved. Six, and finally, for those of you still clinging to that 1980s mindset, we'll talk about just how bad it was then, and why you want to get with the 2000s. Our primary guest today is an icon in the sport, Dr. Andy Pruitt. He has over 40 years of experience in cycling medicine and ergonomics. He is a bike fit guru. He invented the body geometry fit system and continues to design ergonomic products for specialized. He has seen every cycling injury in the book and because of that has literally written the book. It's called Andy Pruitt's Complete Medical Guide for Cyclists. Check it out. In addition, we speak with Evan Huffman of Rally Cycling who shares some quick thoughts on the injuries he's seen on his team and what the team staff does to make that a very short list. Finally, we speak with Colby Pierce, a regular on our show. As a coach, fitter, and elite athlete, Pierce shares his thoughts on the common injuries he sees and what he does to address them. Colby zeroes in on one of the most important aspects of the bike, saddle choice and saddle position. So, put on your favorite jammy. Relax your hands, your feet, your back. Let's make you fast. Work it on your holiday wish list this year? Normatec is the ultimate athlete gift, and for a limited time, you can save $200 and get free shipping on the Pulse Recovery System. An extensive body of research shows that Normatec increases circulations and reduces muscle stiffness. The result is that you can train harder and race faster. Normatec is the official supplier of USA Cycling and is also the same technology that riders like Tom Skynch, Taylor Finney, and the BMC race team all rely on.
are sitting down today in the Specialized Boulder Experience Center and home of Retool in Boulder, Colorado, the new campus that just opened up to the public. And we're sitting here with Dr. Andy Pruitt. Many of you out there probably know him. He's been in the industry in the science of ergonomics, really, for 40-plus years. He's retired from clinical practice at this point, but he's still working closely with specialized designing products and uh, innovating in the ergonomic realm. Correct. So thank you for joining us, Happy Dr. to be here. Pruitt. Happy to be here. Yeah, and today's episode really is about those common cycling injuries that people get frustrated with that uh, take some of the uh, joy and uh, and beauty out of this sport that we all love. And uh, I think we're here today to really say those don't usually have to be part of this sport. Some people might think, oh, if my butt doesn't hurt, I'm not riding hard or I'm not a hard man. But that's not true at all. Right. I, I think that uh, most cycling injuries don't have to happen, right? They don't have to happen if we do things right. But they still do happen. Yeah. Right. So I think the, the one thing I have to add to this, this was an article, one of the first article, articles I ever wrote for Vela News, and, and Dr. Pruitt, you actually did an interview for this article, was about knee injuries. And since I always have a couple people that I interview for an article, so I interviewed a friend who uh, was a massage therapist in Soignure for, for several pro tour teams, thinking he would have all sorts of stories about uh, dealing with knee injuries with, with top cyclists of that level. So I asked him, what do you guys do? about knee injuries? And he said, nothing. To which I replied, so you just let them have a knee injury? You don't help them? He goes, no, we don't have guys with knee injuries. You don't get to this level if you haven't figured that out yet. And then he gave me this good talk about the fact that none of this stuff is, is necessary. This is not an inevitability of cycling. And actually, if you're having knee injuries, it's because, or other issues, it's often because you're not doing the right things. Mm -hmm. And he said, to get to the pro tour level, you have to figure those things out. You have to find those solutions. I would comment that I still see a lot of pro tour riders with knee pain. So I'm not sure <laughs> if that guy was really, really lucky. or um, Because you can be a biomechanical 10 on your bicycle. You can be perfectly fit. And you can still get what we would call an extrinsic injury, meaning that it occurred because of too much training, too much train change, you know, too much power, too much watt output. So you can get a screaming case of tendonitis uh, being perfectly fit on your bike just by doing too much too soon mm -hmm. or, or iliotibia band is one of the most common, you know, too much too soon kind of thing. So I, I would love to have a discussion with your swan, your friend. So I will mention that his pastime is he go, goes and does deadlifting contests. So I really didn't want to argue with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay then, maybe we should do it on the phone. <laughs> I caught up with Evan Huffman, a pro rider with Rally Cycling and a past winner of the Tour of the Gila and the best climber's jersey at the Tour of California. We talked briefly about injuries at the pro level. Are there any injuries that you see on your team that seem to be pretty common, particularly, I mean, I'm not talking about crashing injuries, but more overuse injuries? Not really. It's a pretty healthy bunch, actually. I think Mateo has some knee problems from time to time but i don't know a lot about his process of i know he that was why he skipped utah last year he's having some kind of knee issues that's kind of the only person i think that's had problems so what do you guys do to avoid 
overuse injuries? Because obviously you're on the bike a lot. Our team is very unique in that we don't have a shoe or saddle sponsor, which I think is really awesome because those are obviously three out of the five contact points on the bike that can cause a lot of problems for people. So it can be a little more stressful to kind of find your own sponsor or buy stuff, but I think in the end it allows everybody the freedom to find a shoe and saddle that's comfortable for them. I think that is a big part of it for sure is just having a good fit on the bike and being in a position and yeah, getting the shoes and saddle set up just perfect so that you're not going to create problems for yourself. I think stretching and massage helps a lot as well. You correct imbalances and just recover faster, which is definitely a part of the pro lifestyle perk is getting massaged during races. Right. It's really beneficial. But yeah, even at home or for anybody stretching and core work is really good as well. Don't have to go crazy and get like a 90 minute massage every week or a couple times a week. I think just, you can just set aside 15 minutes after most workouts to stretch. I think that helps a lot. I can tell when I don't do it, I feel a lot tighter on the bike the next day. It takes longer to warm up. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, why don't we get into, and you have a little story thing, I think for us at this point, about what is the most common cycling injury out there. I guess there in the past has been some debate, but maybe, uh, maybe you have a story for Well, us. if you were to ask me what the most common cycling injury is, ask me that question 30 years ago, it would have been blatantly knee. Right? No question, no doubt in my mind. It would have been the knee was the center of the injury universe. But if you think about 30 years ago and 40 years ago, the equipment changes were happening so rapidly that a lot of things, especially medicine, couldn't keep up with them. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the invention of the clipless pedal, first the black look cleat. Um, actually, Cinelli made the first clipless pedal, but nobody remembers that one. Um, it was a manual lock. Uh, it was... Think about the, the latch bolt on your door and you had to do that manually to each foot. So anyway, those never, That's they, they, they were not a marketing success. Uh, but the black look cleat was in 1983, 1984, and it created an epidemic of knee injuries. The same engineer that had developed the black look system felt so badly about what he had actually done, right, in creating these knee injuries, he switched companies, went to time, and created the time system, which eliminated many of the injuries that the look system had started, but it created its own oh, wow. uh, set of injuries. So we had, I actually began to nickname injuries after which pedal system uh, that people were riding. And then other pedal systems have had, I don't want to call those two out as bad because they're not, but they did create a, a whole epidemic of knee injuries. So if you were to ask me this question, those decades ago, it would have been blatantly the knee. Mm -hmm. But the advances, of, actually, another little caveat is we were actually inventing and creating surgical techniques to treat the knee injuries created by these pedal systems. Those surgical techniques today, if you ask a young orthopedic surgeon, he's never heard of them because we've really eliminated much of the knee issues with fitting solutions and, and, and understanding the real biomechanics of what happens when we actually fasten somebody to a bicycle. So interestingly enough, I was asked that same question by a, somebody from the UK last week. And the question was asked to me and to Todd Carver, one of the uh, founders protege of mine, one of the founders of Retool, they asked us both the same question. And I habitually said, knee. Mm -hmm. And Todd said, no, I think it's back. If you look back at a chapter you and I wrote for the Olympic Committee <laughs> about the epidemiology of cycling injuries, 
gee, low back was the number one thing <laughs> listed. So um, it was just habit that you it, say knee. It, well, yes, yeah. it was. Yeah, you know they say with Alzheimer's, you 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 last things you lose are your old memories. So I still remember it thirty years ago. <laughs> um, anyway, I don't want to make fun of Alzheimer's, but the, the the there's been a significant seismic shift in cycling injuries for sure, especially the overuse the overuse kinds. And I would tell you that fit and fit solutions. Pedal system choices, cleat choices, cleat wedging, arch support, ergonomically designed shoes, uh, saddles. Oh, my gosh. Saddles have changed the way people sit on bicycles significantly. So there's been a lot of solutions created by the industry that have eliminated a lot of what we used to think of as common cycling injuries. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say you've eliminated knee injuries in this sport. What, What types of knee injuries are you still seeing? Well, the number one athletic knee complaint regardless of sport is some kind of patellofemoral you know pain behind your kneecap patellofemoral malfunction dysfunction some people call it chondromalacia depends on how old the orthopedist is that wants to name it for you but it's really a dysfunction a compressive or maltracking dysfunction of the patella on the front of the knee and it is again a running injury it's a jumping injury it's a cycling injury it, it it's really the weak link in the knee design, if you will, uh, the ACL aside, that's a whole other kind of in- knee injury that doesn't happen in cycling. But the patellofemoral joint is the ha-ha Achilles heel of, uh, of that particular and joint. And why do you say it's a design flaw, so to speak? What, what's going on? The, the knee is a very interesting design. It's a very complicated joint. Most people think of it as a perfect hinge joint, but it's not. Uh, it, it swivels as it bends. The patella is the fulcrum in this lever system. It is so the compressive forces of the patella are really what help you create the power that you that you lay down on the pedal. So it is a compressive force and a shearing force, right? So as the quadricep and all the other muscles contract to push down the pedal, the kneecap is pressed into the front of the femur. The femur's moving behind the kneecaps. We get this shearing mm. forces. So it's a combination of compressive and shearing forces. Now, are those articular cartilages are absolutely designed for those combinations of forces. The flaw in the ointment primarily comes at the joint above and below the knee, right? So the knee is the victim. Mm. Yes. The culprit is, could be the, fit, the foot or the hip, I right? See. Yes. So the knee is trapped in the middle. Uh, we're strapped down, fastened to the pedal, and... If you sit on your saddle right, you're fairly attached to it as well. So the knee is in the middle trying to produce all this, all this power. That, that is one of my favorite expressions that you gave me that I use in that article, which yep. is the knee is a victim. Yep. Yeah. So unless you get hit by a car in the knee, usually the problem doesn't start at the knee. It starts elsewhere. And Correct. The solution is elsewhere. Right. Right. The solution and is elsewhere. That, yeah. That's, let's talk about that solution. Sure. So... If the, if the knee is tracking well, so if you, if you were looking at a rider coming at you in a slow motion video, the perfect knee tracking is that knee is tracking vertical, right? It's moving up and down in a vertical plane. But even if you watch the tour uh, on TV and you see some of these guys with the knees moving in a figure eight or excessive movement medial laterally, I guarantee you we could help them and we could improve their power transfer by getting that knee to move more, more linear. So... That's how the cartilages are designed to work. And the muscles and ligaments and and structures around the patella are all trying to maintain it in its groove, right? So I I talk to people about 
the muscles and tendons and connective tissues around the knee is, is like the uh, reins of a horse bridle. So if you pull on the right rein, the horse's head moves to the right. You pull on the left rein, it moves to the left. Well, if we don't have our tissues in balance, then that patella is going to move right or left inside that groove. And those lateral stresses are really what not was what the patella is not designed to absorb. So it's designed to absorb vertical mm-hmm. and shear and compressive, not lateral movement. So by using shoe, pedal, cleat, and arch remedies, but we strive to get that knee tracking as linear as possible. Are there other things like physical therapy and exercises people can do to, totally. to, to, and bike fit to help with these issues? Just going to share a quick story because I had an athlete this winter that had that issue. with He was getting a huge amount of pain behind yep. his patella. Yep. He had flown out here to do a training camp with me. So we were, we were riding here in Boulder, and on the second day, his knee started hurting so bad, he thought he had to quit. He, he was upset because he had flown out here. He wanted to do a camp yep. in Boulder and didn't think he could continue. And I asked him to describe the pain and just said, A, I think you you put your saddle too low mm-hmm. after you rebuilt it from the plane. He's like, no, I put it in the exact same spot. I'm like, look, just raise it two millimeters. And said, tonight, really stretch your quads, really stretch your hip flexors. He did all that. He didn't believe it. He didn't think he could ride the next day. He goes out the next day and it's like, oh, it's not so bad. The day after that, no pain. Yep. Yep. So the answer to the question, there's, yes, there are mechanical solutions, static solutions such as an arch support or a cleat wedge or an appropriate shoe, whatever. And then there are um, uh, more dramatic or more dynamic solutions, which would be stretching, right, to get those tissues in balance, uh, stretching, your, stretching your quads, stretching your hamstrings. Tight hamstrings, you think about where they attach around the knee, tight hamstring actually pulls the tissues on the front of the knee more, more tightly, right? So, yeah, stretching your hamstrings, stretching your, your quadriceps, all those things are very important. Strengthening. So depends on what sport you came to cycling from. You may have de- developed a set of muscles that were great for inline skating, but not so great for vertical pedaling of a bicycle. So you may have developed the lateral quad versus the medial quad. So getting those, getting your strength and balance around the knees is crucial. Bike fit, wow, yes. <laughs> um, saddle height and saddle fore aft can dramatically change the compressive forces at the knee. Absolutely. So I used to say that with a handheld goniometer that about 30... Explain what a goniometer is <laughs> for those out there. It's an old Egyptian tool, uh, like a plumb bob, uh, that measures joint angles, mm-hmm. handheld, you know, like a protractor, if you will. Yes. That's a different way to look at it. About 35 degrees of knee flexion at dead bottom center would give us adequate safety around the knee. And then you go look at the Pro Tour guys, and they're riding closer to 40. And you're looking at some older people with patellofemoral pain or arthritic knees are riding closer to 20 degrees at dead bottom center. So that, that sweet spot is somewhere between 20 and 40. I remember going to an orthopedic meeting uh, when I was in practice, and there was a pamphlet about bike fit written by a bunch of orthopedic surgeons. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. And they said that the appropriate saddle height was to be set where the knee was at 20 degrees of knee flexion at dead bottom center. And... 
it was obviously aimed at patellofemoral arthritic sufferers because the patella really is no longer in contact with the femur at 20 degrees, mm, right? right? Patella becomes free-floating. If you take, you straighten out your leg, you can take your kneecap and move it all over the place. So it, it's about 30 degrees before it really begins to settle into its groove, and there's a fat pad behind it to protect it. So I would tell you that if we tried to set a serious cyclist saddle at 20 degrees of knee flexion dead bottom center, he'd have saddle sores, he'd have hamstring pain, and he'd have no power because the patella is no is an ineffective fulcrum at that height. So professional bike fit is exactly what has eliminated and diminished many of the knee injuries that we knew in the past. So this is nothing, for us, nothing new that we've been saying all the way along. We've had you on the show for this before, is when you're looking at best places to spend your money, go get a good bike fit. And I think that's... We're going to go through all these injuries, and, and I can tell you right now, the, the answer to almost every single one is going to be bike fit. But the bike fit's a big, big thing. It's not just um, your saddle height and your saddle foreaft and where your handlebars are. So bike fit, uh, to me, is, it has to be done in all three planes. So if you think about the side view, right, that's the X and Y plane. And that is what bike fit was historically before it got scientific. It was all from the side view. The Z plane is where we really eliminate, that's the front or back view, and that's where we really eliminate hip, knee, ankle stresses. When we get to talking about low back pain, that really, that can be an XY solution, but is also a Z solution. So if you've got some issue at the foot or at the saddle, which is causing you to sit slightly crooked on your bike, right, that's going to create back pain that won't be seen from the side view. That's going to be back pain that's solved from the X, uh, from the Z plane, from the front view or the rear view, looking at how that pelvis is actually sitting on the saddle. That brings a question up in my mind about breaking bad habits. Mm. And I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of people that have had bad habits. If they could just change them, they'd be fine on the bike. Do you, have you come up with any good ways to persuade people? So bad habits, habits are tough to break, right? Sure. Easy to develop, hard to break. I developed a, a bike fit philosophy, which was to make the bike look like you that day. There's a reason you came to see me. Crotch pain, back pain, knee, whatever it is. So we want to solve that issue. We want to make the bike supportive of you that day and carry on. And then the physical therapy uh, world kind of said, no, 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 no. We, you, we need to correct all these things so you do, don't need that wedge in your shoe. What the, the truth of the matter is, it really ought to be a progressive process, right? right sure. So you make your initial bike fit to solve those issues so they can continue to ride, identify those issues, and then address them off the bike. If it's a hamstring flexibility issue and they're asymmetrical, right? So we can fix that with bike fit to make you comfortable on your bike. But we also should address it off the bike so that you can get symmetrical right. flexibility sure. and then does that cleat change we made does it go away sometimes yes sometimes no so i i, I totally agree that the off the bike issues need to be addressed not just bike fit. totally and that's another reason why and this isn't just to make more money but you want to get not just one bike fit in your life but bike wow. fits repeatedly Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's such a hard sell. I don't know why. I, I, I've been doing this 40 years and I'm still baffled why, why bike fitting at the highest level is such a hard sell. So I was developing this big philosophy and, and, and teaching it in schools and a thousand bike fit students a year globally. 
And we did the research and finally realized we were reaching about 7% of cyclists with that level of fit. So my whole pendulum has swung to doing things, creating product or techniques or philosophies to engage 90% of cyclists. And so I I used to have this philosophy that never do a partial fit, right? Because how how do you stop? Somebody says, well, I want number two on your menu. That's just going to be an XY fit. I don't, want, I don't want that Z-plane thing. That's expensive. <laughs> and, and But you're looking at it and going, I can't fix X and Y if I don't scoot mm. around to the front and look at the Z. So, but I've, my, my whole pendulum has swung. And I don't want to do a plug here, but the, with Retool, one of the things we're driving for is people to be able to walk into a bike shop and very accurately know a starting saddle height, the bike size, stem length, shoe size, arch height needs very quickly and very easily so that maybe and, they'll and get it inexpensively i suppose uh inexpensively if not free yeah so if they get a taste of what scientific data bike fit can afford them mm-hmm. then hopefully they'll come back right so and come back and get the rest of it addressed if they can see what a saddle choice difference can make to them maybe then they'll be interested in what they're Shoe choice, arch choice, stem length, all those different solutions that we have at our at our our disposal. What could be done? And so that my whole pendulum swung from all in, all or nothing, bike fit, to let's do some simple pieces of it first, make more people on bikes happier. So maybe ninety percent of people have actually had at least a part of their bike fit solved. That's a lofty goal. It is. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I've, you that's how you operate though right it has been most of my yeah yeah, yeah. so one of the the neatest stories i've personally seen is um that athlete who i had here in boulder in the winter part of it was to bring him in to have him bike fit and, yep. and do all the testing yep. on him and they ran a he we had had an issue that we could not solve that when he was in a race he kept getting popped in races where there was a lot of tacking and he had to keep mm-hmm. standing up and keep standing up yep. he would just all of a sudden, he would have no power. They would ride away from him, and then he would sit down and, and time trail at 320 watts and, and keep pace with them. But he couldn't handle the attacks. And yep. we were trying to figure out with his training. When we brought him in, they did a glycogen scan on him and discovered mm-hmm. his one, I think it was his left hamstring, was just chronically glycogen depleted. And when they talked to him about it, he had broken that leg about three years ago. Hmm. And it hadn't quite healed right. That was affecting his fit. And without, I'm trying to remember all the details, but basically this was causing them to constantly be glycogen depleted in the hamstrings. And when you stand up to sprint, you recruit your hamstrings a lot more. Totally. You just didn't have totally. the strength. So that was actually, we, we were able to do things with his bike fit and his training once yep. they realized that to, to solve that issue. And now it, he doesn't, that hasn't happened to him in races. And it, you would never think fit for something like that. Oh, I think fit every time. <laughs> Fair enough. So, I mean, I, I yeah, um, I think fit every time somebody has a complaint. So, you know, nutrition, hydration, fit, training, they all interplay on each other. I'm, I'm convinced. Is that a good place to jump to lower back pain? Because I think that is the other major and perhaps the current leader <laughs> of, uh, of common bike injuries. As... Dr. Pruitt stares at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, your back's a whole different subject. <laughs> That's a chapter in and of itself. I still remember you did an MRI on my back, and I said, so how does it look? And you just said, you look like you're in your 40s, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, that was probably a compliment at the time, yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> that back looked a little older than that. But um, So let, let's talk about healthy backs that hurt when you ride a bicycle. Okay, I'm going right? to go to the bathroom. Call me when uh, <laughs> you need me. <laughs> no, I mean, so even the healthiest of backs can be sore or uncomfortable on a bicycle, right? Sure. So your saddle height plays a huge role in back pain. So if your saddle's too high and you're kind of waddling on the saddle, somebody has set your saddle at a, at a place that looks safe for the knee, but maybe too high for you, causing you to, to rock or to waddle. We've all seen them on group rides. Mm-hmm. That could be a very healthy back that gets muscular back pain from that position. Or the same guy has, um, he wants his bicycle to look like his heroes, <laughs> right? Yeah. So if you look at the tour, uh, all there's rarely a stem that has a spacer under it. Slammed. They're slammed. But you got to remember that that maybe that's a custom head tube for that guy. So, yeah. If it was, if he bought his bike in the store, it may have one or two or more spacers. So handlebar drop and reach, combined with saddle position, are really going to be the easy solutions to solving back pain. The thing about backs is is that they're meant to curve in an opposite direction than we lean on a bicycle. So the low back is actually curved in what we call lordosis, right? So it's kind of the arch in your back. And what do we want to do on a bicycle? We want to flex forward as far as we can. And it really puts a stress on those tissues that really want to be the other direction. If we think about historical equipment changes, again, we have now designed saddles that don't necessarily feel like two-by-fours <laughs> that you're sitting on or a fence rail. So... We used to sit on a saddle that was probably too narrow for us, and the reaction to that, to avoid pressure on your genitalia, is to rock your pelvis back even farther, Mm -hmm. and then you're still trying to reach the handlebars, and that combination puts us in a reversed curvature of the low back. So most low back pain on a bike in a healthy individual is tissue stress, because the tissue is being placed in a position of which they're unaccustomed, and over time on the bike, things begin to tighten up and become uncomfortable for you. So then you've got the individual who has some degenerative disc disease, right? So just some aging discs in the low back. So the vertebrae are these bony Legos that snap together at these little facets, these little faces. And between the bony Legos are jelly-filled donuts. And the jelly-filled donut is actually hyper inflated, right? So you get 10 pounds of jelly and a five pound donut, right? So it's overinflated. <laughs> and that's what gives the disc life, gives it dynamic life. But if we deform that disc by forward flexing on the bicycle, that is like popping a pimple. That disc material is going to move to the back part of that disc. You're grossing me out with donuts and pimple talk. <laughs> but do you see it in your mind? <laughs> so how many people are listening to this have ever gotten off their bike and had trouble standing up? Mm-hmm. Because the back just won't stand up. And what's happened is that the disc has deformed to acclimate to that cycling position. That disc has changed its shape. And now you want to stand up, and you're forcing that disc to reshape into its normal mold. Extended periods of time where that disc is being forced out of its normal shape, it might actually begin to leak, right? Mm-hmm. And that's so that's kind of what happens with disc disease: is the is the the discs begin the donut cracks and begins to leak out the the substance or the jelly. So that aging back or that 
even even 20 year olds can have disc disease. That's a that's a slightly different story than the healthy back that just needs a quick bike fit. So that degenerative back needs physical therapy, absolutely 100%. And he needs a close eye on bike position, absolutely. So they're very they're very kind of different things. So my great disc story was uh, Sivan Chabanel when he was riding for Quick Step. We were at the November camp. Sylvain showed up 10 days after discectomy. And he comes to his bike fit session, ready to rock and roll, 10 days post-discectomy. And he couldn't touch his toes. He couldn't barely touch his knees. I mean, this guy, was he still had stereotypes. His stitches were just out. And I said, Sylvain, you're, you're, you're a back patient. He said, no, I am a professional. I cannot ride the bicycle with four centimeters of spacer. I cannot do it. We had a positive rise stem, four centimeters of spacers. And that's the only place he was comfortable in his current state, right? I finally said, you're not a professional today. You are a post-operative back patient today. I gave him four physical therapy goals to reach. With every goal he reached, he could take out a spacer. Okay? So so he liked this, right? He had goals, right? Mm -hmm. The bottom story is is that in November this happened, and in March he won the three days of DuPont, and he won it in the last day in the penultimate time trial. So here's a guy who has known this disease, and we put him in a corrective position, made the bike look like him that day, mm-hmm. and then as he reached his physical therapy goals, he was able to acclimate back to his original professional position, right? Hard man position. A hard man <laughs> position. And you know, here we are, what, 60, 90 days later, he wins a, uh, a really hard stage race, but he wins it in the TT position. Mm-hmm. So my reasoning for that story is there are times when your bike position needs to change. And hopefully that's temporary. Right. Whether that's saddle goes up because of patellofemoral pain, saddle goes down because of a hamstring injury, handlebars come up, stem gets shorter, uh, whatever it is to, to accommodate for a back or a shoulder. And then with the right work, you can gravitate back to that pro position. You can put your ego aside for the short term for, for long-term gains. Hard to do. Hard to do. <laughs> I've had a lot. I've got lots of stories I can tell, uh, but Sylvan Sylvan's was public. That's why I can use his name and tell sure. you that story. His sure. that that battle was very public. So one thing I will add in terms of dealing with a, a back problem from a lot of experience is I do see athletes who think the solution is to do a lot of stretching, and I personally think that can be a mistake because often those muscles are tight because they're protecting the back. So. Flexibility and strength need to go hand in hand. Right. So I'll tell another story. We were just introducing professional bike fit to the pro tour um, with uh, the Saxobank team. Mm-hmm. And Cancellara was the world time trial champion at the time. We thought, what a great poster boy this will be, right? So I put him through the whole body geometry fit process of the time. And his pre-fit assessment showed us that this guy is so flexible. He's like a gymnast, like Gumby. And... We go through the whole fit process. He looks great on his bike, and we're trying to talk. He said, look, you don't have to lock your elbows out. You know, at this new position, you can settle in, and everybody's happy. He moves to the next room where they're going to do a photo shoot with him about bike fit. And we kept on working with other athletes, so we weren't monitoring what he looked like to the photo shoot. So in the photo shoot, he immediately reverted back to his locked elbows. <laughs> his core strength was so weak. He The reason he could... He's so flexible, he can fold himself up into that TT position, but he doesn't have the structural strength 
right? So he depended on the forearm pads and those mm-hmm. things to hold him in place. On the road bike, in a relaxed position, he's totally elbows locked out, holding himself up without the... So bike fit didn't solve his flex, over-flexibility, lack of core strength solution. So Trevor, you're right on the money. Yeah, I do. I, I used to do a lot of stretching. Um, I still yep. like to stretch it, but it's much more work in the core. Yep. If my back is bugging me, I go to the core work, not, yep. the, not the flexibility work. And so when you think about core work on a bicycle, we're not talking about six-pack abs here. Right. right? It's not the torso flexion muscles that we're after. It's the torso extension muscles we're after. So it's, so it's uh, plank, side plank. If a cyclist didn't do any else, anything other off the bike, plank and side plank. They don't do anything else off the bike, hmm. plank and side plank. Yep. And I know when my back goes out, I try to do a plank, I can't last 20 seconds. Yep. Pain is an amazing strength dissolver. <laughs> <laughs> Working on your holiday wish list this year? Normatech is the ultimate athlete gift. And for a limited time, you can save $200 and get free shipping on the Pulse Recovery System. Normatech increases circulation and reduces muscle stiffness so that you can train harder and race faster. Normatech is the official supplier of USA Cycling and is also the same technology that riders like Tom Skunch, Taylor Finney, and the BMC Racing Team all rely on. The next topic that we might want to dive into is uh, one that gets talked about a lot. It's one that I think is well associated with cycling because of that hard man attitude that a lot of people have and it's saddle pain and all the issues that go along with that. Should we talk? Sure. Saddle sores. Well, so there are saddle sores, which is to me is a skin eruption of some kind, right? So the skin eruption can happen at a hair follicle. So with all the friction and today's grooming techniques, um, <laughs> the, the hair can get sheared off at the skin, and then we f- add, it, add friction to it and bacteria, so we can get a, um, uh, actually an infected hair follicle. So that's a, that's a skin issue that's treated treat like acne, if you will. It works, it works pretty well. We also get pressure sores. So when we pressurize skin, we devoid it of capillary blood flow, and it'll get a little necrotic or a little dead, and it'll create an ulcer. So you can get it, you can actually get an ulcer, like like a bed sore, right? You get a bed sore on the back of your heel if you're hospitalized too long, or on your bottom. Uh, we can get an ulcer in the in the crotch from from saddle pressure. That's definitely a hard man disease. <laughs> I've, I've seen some of those as big as dimes and quarters that Ooh. that in the middle of Grand Tours that. Poof, Ooh. Yeah, we don't we don't need you to share those stories. You know, I got them on my phone. You want to no? <laughs> um, we'll post this on the website. But you really my, want to look at this? There's my grandchild. Oh, there's a saddle sore. There's my. <laughs> so true. Anyway, uh, so the, so the hair follicle is one that you treat it much like acne. The ulcer is treated like an open wound. So you may be off your bike a bit for either one of those or divert the pressure. Sometimes I've had people wear a double chamois and cut a hole in the chamois closest to you, like a donut around the saddle mm-hmm. sore. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you do that, you've effectively changed your saddle height. So you have to lower your saddle a few millimeters to take up for that extra chamois. The worst injuries are going to be related to some kind of sexual dysfunction, erectile dysfunction or genital numbness. Um, that's those are just issues that that are right, mm-hmm. but they can be solved. And again, 
like the historical knee injury story, uh, 20 years ago, erectile, male rectal dysfunction was, according to some urologists, epidemic. Hmm. And some urologists said that cycling was dangerous for men of the breeding age. And saddle technology changed with the Minkow wedge, the original body geometry saddle. Roger Minkow designed a saddle to alleviate pressure on the penile arteries and nerves. And if you were to ask a young urologist today, he'll tell you that there's no association with uh, cycling and erectile dysfunction. You ask one that was in practice 20 years ago, he would tell you there is, right? So that's been the shift. So, and the technology, the, the industry has evolved significantly in the saddle design. So if you were to say, isn't there just one saddle that could work for everybody? The answer is no. There's so many saddles on the market because there's that many different size, shapes, bottoms out there that want to ride a bicycle. So never just assume that the bike you bought has the right saddle for you. And, yeah. and if you're a woman, don't assume that your husband's old saddle right. is right for you. You know, women, the, the discussion is becoming more and more popular now, uh, more and more open about women's issues. Mm-hmm. So 51% of the human race are women and about 15% of cyclists are women. So there's a huge disconnect there. And I think the saddle is the primary reason for that disconnect. So we're working really hard at, at designing female-specific saddle designs that I think are hopefully going to eliminate you know, a lot of these issues and bring people back. So erectile dysfunction, I think, can be solved 99% of the time with saddle choice and, and fitting. But if you get into some kind of urinary issue, bladders infections, urethritis, those kinds of things, all of our soft tissues are slightly different. So our, our nerves, arteries, and hollow uh, uh, structures like urethras, most people, they're well protected in soft tissue. But the skinnier we get, the less protected they get. So people want to ride a soft saddle. I mean, the foam is, the softness is not all it's cracked up to be in a saddle. That, that, that foam wants to go somewhere when it's pressurized. A nice firm sitting area when you're sitting on the right structures, such as the bony structures, far safer and more comfortable in the long run, if you will. I mean, I could, I could talk hours on the different diagnoses that come from men's and women's cycling at the saddle, but those aren't the common ones, right? So saddle sores, pressure-related, hair follicle-related, those are the ones that right. are most common. I, I feel like of all the issues that cyclists face, especially people trying to get into the sport, yep. this saddle choice yep. is the hardest thing that people go through and it takes they they'll come to people that are experienced cyclists and they'll say what saddle should i ride this that you've seen this a thousand ten thousand times mm-hmm. what is your process what are your top five tips what can you tell people out there that are struggling with this issue well a good interview right i want to know where their pressure where their sore is what does it look like necessarily so a good interview is crucial there well you have a an actual pad that you put on the saddle that shows all the pressure spots i'm getting there (laughs) (laughs) shut up um so but not all fit studios have a pressure map so it really comes down to that interview and the willingness of the fitter and the rider to experiment with different sizes and shapes. So it wasn't that long ago that saddles came in one size, and they were 130 millimeters wide at the widest part. And we did a huge study measuring the distance between the sit bones. We don't act, Rarely do we actually sit on our sit bones on a bicycle saddle, but that's a, it's the only one we can measure. We really sit on the pubic rami. But we did this huge study, and the variant... In males and females, there's a lot, there's more overlap than there is difference between males and females as far as that part of the pelvis is concerned. We now make saddles 
rarely at the 130. They now vary between 140 and 170 millimeters wide. And these are all race You're talking edge-to-edge? Edge outside, edge-to-edge, edge, at the widest part. The available seating area then is dictated by the dome or the shape of the saddle. So the flatter the saddle, the more available seating area it has, but it may not be comfortable to you. Right. Then they, they come in varieties of shapes and domes to find that right one for your particular pelvis and your particular soft tissue shape and, and girth. So yes, there are a lot of saddles on the market for a very good reason because it takes that many to find. So so my advice to the listener is don't be satisfied with the first choice unless it is so comfortable. When you go on a bike ride and you don't really think about your saddle, you've got the right one. Mm-hmm. If you're on a uh, on a bike ride and at an hour you're wondering how you can get off soon and then you stop to go to the restroom get something to eat, if it was uncomfortable at that hour, it's going to really be comfortable as you try to remount, mm-hmm. right? And that's a pretty common scenario. So I would suggest that you use a shop and a fitter that allows for test saddles, exchange saddles. The number of people that won't change a saddle because it's the color that matches their, (laughs) right? It's so true. Yeah, Yeah. I bet. I bet. It's so true. But it looks so good. I mean, if you're sitting on it, nobody can see it, right? So if you're sitting on it, that means you're riding it. Um, So yeah, find a shop that allows for for a good fitting experience, saddle choices, and, and that you can try them, return them. And if somebody eventually does find that perfect saddle, they shouldn't switch. They should not switch. Um, <laughs> this, this is why you see pros with all new gear, brand new bikes, and some duct taped seven year old saddle yep. on that bike. Yep. It's true. It's I true. I believe I've heard stories about people in the past that would carry their saddle in a little suitcase with them where they would go to races yep. so they could put it onto their bike. Is that, yep. you've Absolutely. seen that? Absolutely. Well, now, of course, the, the teams that I work with are so well-sponsored that they're, they've got hundreds of saddles. They do break, then crashes, et cetera. So they're, they're, we have developed protocols to remount a new saddle in the exact same place that that other one that just broke came off of sure. or whatever. So I, I think as a, as a master's athlete, Probably my, my pedals, my shoes, and my saddle would go in my backpack. If, the, if, the, if my bike's underneath the plane, then those things are going to be with me in the cabin. Yeah. Yep. Which brings up a really good point. Once you have a good saddle and a good fit, don't mess with it. Don't be raising and lowering your saddle. Don't let your kids or significant other get on your bike and change it unless you mark the height, you mark the position so you can get it right back in the right spot. So let's tell the Eddie Merckx story then, right? Yeah. So Eddie Merckx was famous. Or the Chris Froome story. It turns <laughs> out he's an adjuster as well. Uh, I, we, that's a, we've had this discussion yeah, on a different right. day. So Eddie Merckx was known for always having a 5-millimeter key in his back pocket. In the middle of a training ride, he would change his saddle position. And during the middle of the race, he'd pull up to the car and the mechanic would change his saddle position. Which tells me, if you're a fiddler on a daily or weekly basis, there's something wrong with your fit. There's something that has not been recognized about your body. Mm-hmm. So a long page is turned, the calendar passes, and uh, Eddie actually brings Axel, his son, to see me as a patient. Because Axel was experiencing much of these same issues that his dad had, and he was a fiddler. So Eddie brings Axel to see me in um, uh, in Denver at the time, as early '90s probably, and through the whole exam, it was pretty obvious to me that that Axel had a, a femoral thigh bone leg length inequality, 
and x-rays proved that out. We adjusted his bike, several uh, kind of a recipe of things, a cleat shift and a lift and some things. Then Axel went on to be a, a very successful rider, and he today still uses all of those solutions so that he doesn't have to fiddle with his bike fit. Uh, and, and Eddie's comment was, where were you when I was young? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was say, that was probably the issue. He's trying to find the right height, but it's always going to be right for one leg exactly. or the other. So he would exhaust a, a, a position. It'd become unhappy, and he would change it a little bit, and everything was happy again. And so this went on back and forth, his back entire and forth. his entire career. Yeah, what? How much better would he have been? How many instead of five hundred and twenty five victories? <laughs> have you heard the terms micro adjuster and macro absorber? Totally. Yeah. Know the guy that made the quote. Is it? And you believe that that is true about people, and that certain people fall into those those oh, wow. categories? You bet. Oh, okay, I'm not gonna think of the guy's name. I'm Bora. He got a teammate's bike in the middle of the stage. Totally wrong size bike. He went on to win the stage, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and he had no idea that the bike didn't fit him. He couldn't have cared less. The guy could ride anything. And then there's those who have to have a teammate who's their clone who sure. can keep up with them in case their bike goes bad so he can take their bike, right? Their bike positions are that close to each other. I do believe there are princesses in the P and that, that know every wrinkle in their short, every wrinkle in their sock, and they give us great kinesthetic feedback during an exam or fit. Great kinesthetic. And then there are other people who are so disconnected from themselves that they really give us terrible or non-feedback, right? How's that change feel? Well, I'm not sure. Then there's the guy, how's that change feel? Wow, yeah, that, was that more than a millimeter? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. There's there, no right or wrong here. It's no, just, it's no. It's just some no. people have that sense and other people don't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Probably easier for the fitter if they have that sense because you get better to feedback. To a point. To a point, yeah, right. That, they're really picky. That, that, yeah, picky, oversensitive, pain in the butt, whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> whatever you want to call them, uh, that, that, that guy is going to be a, that, that fiddler, that, that micro adjuster. They exist, absolutely. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I guess, like in, in Merckx's case, there's a good reason for that. And other times, it's maybe just... They have that sensitivity. You know, he was a macro adjuster. That I guy, sp- yeah. he, he was making adjustments on a daily basis, but they were not small necessarily. Yeah. Right? He would do five millimeters at a whack mm-hmm. with no problem. We never, I never examined, I have to tell you, I never examined Eddie. We all assumed that Axel had it, so did Eddie, right? But Axel's um, femoral leg length, they call it, it's pretty significant, over mm-hmm. a centimeter. So they were, Eddie was making big adjustments. Yeah. He would let, that's his story. He tells me he was making big adjustments at the time. Yeah. Sure. Colby Pierce, a respected coach, bike fitter, now a world champion, and a regular on the show, talked with us briefly about cycling injuries he sees in his fit studio. While every fitter has their own solutions, you'll notice several common themes with what we've already been discussing. Well, what I see is a lot of athletes come to me with saddles that are probably optimistically high. I don't know what it is about bike racers, but they, for some reason, many cyclists, not all, but many bike racers assume that when you raise your saddle, they're going to find that missing 10th of a point of VO2 or extra 20 Watts somewhere. And there's always more is always better. Not always, but very often. And so I see saddles that are just really high. And what's interesting about the human body is that it doesn't necessarily end up in the same place. You see the same symptoms. The saddle's too high. The hip is dropping down on one side of the bottom of the stroke. They've got horrible pelvic stability as a result. 
And then where that goes from there depends on the athlete. It can be chronic IT band pain on the opposite side. It can be chronic IT band pain on the side that the hip is dropping. It can be chronic lumbar pain in the lower back on either side. More commonly, if the right side hip is dropping, it'd be on the left. It can end up in the shoulder because the torso has to be stabilized during all those pedaling motions. It can end up in chronic stuff in the knee. But the common denominator, not for all of them, but a lot of them is a saddle that's too high. So where the human sort of deals with it or where it ends up, where the pain refers to is a different location every time, but that's kind of the denominator. So that doesn't really answer your question. Overuse stuff. I mean, the typical list of the most common complaints I get in my fitting lab are I get shoes and it's almost always lateral pressure around the fifth metatarsal heads because the two boxes are too narrow, almost always. And I get a lot of saddle discomfort problems. A lot of people are dealing with saddle pain. And I'll tell you, it's what year is it? 2018. Man, we've come a long way in saddle technology. It used to be a hard man's perspective where you were like, to get fit on a bike, I have to go out and ride 100K a day and my 3921, and I have to deal with neck pain and back pain and leg pain and lung pain and crotch pain. It's not the case anymore. Now we have far better fitting bicycles than we ever have had, and we solved a lot of fit problems. So that means you can focus more on your leg pain and your lung pain and deal with those things that actually make you faster. It's not as much of a be a tough guy and go out and just drill your crotch into oblivion <laughs> oh, God. for, can I say that for three months? You can. And, I, and, and I'm then, still trying to understand what the issue is here, but go ahead. It's, I mean, <laughs> there are people who are still stuck in 1984 land come and see me on concourse saddles. And those things are just disasters uh, of perineal pressure. I know uh, that. Yeah. I'm sorry. What's the issue? <laughs> You're right. What's our topic here? Trevor isn't married. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that you work with SMP saddles quite a bit, and that to the layperson is a totally odd-looking saddle. And what is that thing? And that's goofy. And but what's the philosophy there? And why do you why why is it attractive to you? Yeah, to a traditional eye, it's a very unusual-looking saddle. Most people complain about the the quote beak nose. I don't know why people are so hung up on that. To me, I don't even notice it. Well, first of all, if the thing works amazingly well, who cares what it looks like? We'll figure that out later, right? Yep. Uh, function first. But the philosophy is from what I've seen, and I've seen a lot of saddles on the market, no other saddle has the combination of as big of a perineal cutout or, or pressure relief cutout and as nice uh, deep of a curve when viewed from the side. So if you picture like a horse saddle, it's kind of curved from the side. And what we want to do is support the bony ischium and the ischium, guess what? They're kind of curved like rocking chair feet. They're wider in the back and then they get narrower as you come towards the front. And they've got a nice curved angle to them or curved uh, section to them. And that fits right into that channel of that SMP. So it locks people in place, gives them a lot of support. And I've had many clients get on those saddles and just have their minds blown. They're literally like, I never knew a saddle could disappear like this under me. It doesn't work for every client, but for an overwhelming majority of my clients, they walk out the door with an SMP and they love it. Never turn back. And that's which, exactly which is a lo- not the experience you, as you were alluding to with a lot of other people, they think that their crotch is supposed to hurt yeah. when they ride a bike. They think it's part of riding a bike, that they have to endure some sort of discomfort. And that's really not the case for the vast majority of riders. We have saddles that should literally disappear under you. You should be able to ride for four or five hours and never think about it. That's a saddle that fits well. There are lots of hurdles in doing that because people don't want to buy a saddle and try it and then realize it sucks. And yep. so manufacturers start to figure that out. There's more test saddles available, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't like this direction. Now you're going to tell me that you don't even bother to duct tape your, your shorts to the saddles. So <laughs> Velcro, duct tape. Yeah. What do we- <laughs> you use duct tape for bar tape, right, Trevor? That makes sense. <laughs> 
I actually, so where I learned how to ride, to give you the idea of the mindset, and nobody believes me until they end up in that part of upstate New York and actually see this. I used to get made fun of because I had handlebar tape. And a lot of the people <laughs> there felt that handlebar tape was, was unnecessary. Why would you use it? Right. That's so where you, I come from. So you guys have really nice roads up there. No. You wear gloves a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, always thick, thick gloves. You're always wearing ski gloves. That's <laughs> right. a conclusion I come right. to. Yeah. Yes. Nanobar tape is unnecessary. Do they realize that metal is more conductive than if you wrap it with some nice rubbery stuff and it's going to be colder? That okay. is completely irrelevant. Totally irrelevant. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, boy. And I wonder why Dr. Pruitt uses me as a case study of things not to do. Let's get back to our conversation with him and the right way of doing things. So I think the, the only thing I would add to all this is clean your chamois. Oh, because you brought up the whole fact that these issues, there's bacteria involved. You bet. And when I talk to athletes who are constantly getting saddle sores, one of the questions I ask, how often do you wash your chamois? Well, I'll do three, four rides mm. before I clean it. Go, there's a big <laughs> part of your issue. Yeah. Keep it clean. Keep it clean. So, yes, I think chamois, like shoes, like saddles, like all their technologies— Chamois technology is changing so rapidly right now. I mean, I, I can I, even at this moment in this building, chamois technology is changing. So it needs to be machine or, or sink washed, hand washed. It needs to be air dried. Absolutely. That is the best medicine to preserve your chamois. If you want to kill bacteria, the dryer. So if you get your chamois free, right, <laughs> wash and dry them. And if you don't get your chamois free, then I would air dry them because that's going to add life to the life to the garment. Get out of your chamois ASAP. Spend no longer in your chamois than you have to. Um, yeah, chamois time. Then the ride not isn't along. <laughs> does, does not equal training time. It always cracks me up when I do a, a ride the Rockies or some other you know big multi-day event, and they're standing in the food line at nine o'clock at night, and they're still in their shorts. Yeah. And I'm afraid they're going to wear that same short again tomorrow. They may sleep in them. I don't know. But <laughs> but, but get out of your short and use an astringent, uh, like like a um, an acne uh, wipe or something to clean your skin if you don't have access to an immediate shower. Let things air dry. Boxers for men, commando, uh, let let things dry out in there as, as best as possible. If you need a lubricant, I hope you're not sponsored by a chamois cream. If you need chronic lubricant, there's something wrong with your saddle choice or your bike fit. Now, that said, in a week-long tour, you're probably going to get some issues even if all is perfect. Sure. So there is a place for chamois cream. I like a mixture of one part Vaseline and one part uh, triple antibiotic ointment. Mix those two together. I, I'm sure there's some petroleum jellies out there that come already mixed with some antibiotic in them. That's really what you're after. So you've got a little antibiotic, you've got a little lubricant. It's there at the end of the ride. It's not water soluble. It doesn't wash away or sweat away, but it does make chamois care much harder. It also makes skin care harder because it can clog up the, right. the pores. Mm -hmm. So for every good thing, there's <laughs> some... Some negatives, but but skin care, crotch care, crucial. Women, women bring some other issues to the sport in that their urethra is only a couple of centimeters long, so there is urinary leakage, there is vaginal discharge, there are some things that really add to the petri dish in the chamois. So women have to be far more careful with chamois and, and crotch care than men do. Is there any guideline on how long a chamois should last? <laughs> I don't know that. I think it probably vary. Probably not a yeah. decade, though. 
No. But I <laughs> know them, there are a lot of people out there riding old, old shorts. I love to go on a big group ride where I don't know everybody and I can see through the lycra in oh, front God. of me. Yeah. You know how old that short is, right? So, Which, that was going to be my one little tip. If you do put your chamois in the dryer, don't use dryer sheets because yeah, yeah, they yeah. make your shorts transparent. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. It's a little embarrassing from experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you have it. We've talked about Saddle sores, saddle issues, knees, backs. We've left out a lot of body parts. Well, we've feet, got, hands, yeah, and neck. feet, hands, and neck. <laughs> feet, hands, and neck. Where do you want to start? You've got a lot of experience with all of them, but yep. do you have a feet? Is Let's start with feet. Feet are as individual as faces. So shoe manufacturers try to build a shoe that meets that bell-shaped curve. So there's always going to be outliers, right? But getting a shoe that fits... When I was a young, stupid racer, we bought our cycling shoes one size too small. We soaked them in water overnight. We la- stuffed our foot in them the next morning, laced them up as tight as we could, and went on a hot summer ride. Dry, hot, hot summer ride, and they, the shoe would dry over our foot during that time. And we had a custom heat molding. We had a custom <laughs> upper. We had a custom wow. upper. How about that? Um, the shoes aren't leather anymore. The soles aren't wooden anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so those opportunities are, are behind us. Finding a shoe sole that, that works well for you, a sole plate that works well for you, an upper that works well for you. Uh, obviously, I'm fond of, of Specialized because we do believe ours are the only biomechanically designed shoe on the market. But even that said, they need to be adaptable for arch uh, height and, and cushion and forefoot width and all those things. Most pain in the foot, we do hear about cycling hot foot, Right. So that's a form of ischemia again. We talked about ischemia in the skin where we sit on something and pressurize it. So the ball of the foot under constant load, we're going to push all the capillary blood out of that tissue and it becomes ischemic and begins to feel like hot, feels like heat, and feels like pressure. That's just the first signs of, of tissue starvation, if you will, in this ischemic spot. So the way we've solved that a lot is by moving the foot forward on the pedal put the axle of the pedal just behind the ball of the foot to disperse much of that focal pressure. So that's really an easy solution. If you've, if you've got hot foot out there in radio land, if you've got hot foot, move your foot forward on the pedal. That's cleat back, foot forward. Try two or three millimeters at a time until you solve the solution, until you solve the, until you solve the problem. <laughs> the saddle, each time you make that adjustment, and it can't be just on the painful foot, it has to be on both feet, each time you make that adjustment, you need to lower the saddle that same distance because you're actually shortening the whole lever system by moving the foot forward. So that, so good arch support, good shoe upper choice, and, and changing that cleat position are the easy, less the low-hanging fruit for solving foot pain. And you actually brought up something we should have mentioned right from the beginning that is really important. If you make any adjustments to your position, remember... One adjustment affects everything else. Yep. Don't slam your cleats back and then go, well, now I'm fine. Yep. Don't raise your saddle and go, okay, now everything's fine. You, yep. you have to adjust everywhere. When you lower your saddle, that equals also taking it back. So it reach has gotten longer when you lower your saddle. A millimeter or two of saddle adjustment up and down, I wouldn't worry about my reach. But if you make a significant change in saddle height, your reach will be affected by that. So up equals back, down equals forward. You bet. There's, there's no... Free lunch, right? If you change something, you're going to affect it someplace else. Yeah. For sure. Hands. There is some discussion in the elite fit world right now about the distribution of pressures. 
is the saddle 50% and the feet, depending on your watt output, 40 and hands 10. I mean, really, is it 60, 40 front wheel, back wheel? It, there, there's a lot of discussion in, in that right now around bike handling. But if you've got hand pain, one of the best places for a fit sale to begin is at the glove rack. If you're in there buying big, fat, padded gloves, mm. there's something wrong with your equipment, right? Glove design has changed as bar design has changed. So if we think back when I was, again, a young racer, all the bars were metal, all the bars were small and round. So we all wanted a lot of padding on the heel of our hand to pad that unforgiving small round bar. As the bars have gotten bigger and they've become different materials. Better bar tape even. Better bar tape and, and more ergonomic placement and design of the brake hoods. So hand issues have diminished along with knees and everything else with technological improvement. So if you've got a significant hand issue that you only have on the bike, you don't have it at work, at play, at sleep, it's a bike position thing. If you have hand issues off the bike, then it's, you probably have a pathology of some kind you need to have examined and addressed, right? Mm-hmm. I know of people that have carpal tunnel disease that had it so minimally off the bike that it wasn't an issue. But the bike was the exacerbator. Mm-hmm. So the bike really brought their carpal tunnel to a focus that had to be addressed surgically. We did everything we could bike fit-wise. But I do, should we wear gloves? I think that if your bike fit's perfect, you could go for an hour bike ride and not wear gloves and not miss them. Okay. If your bike fit isn't right, I think your hands are going to be uncomfortable pretty quickly into that hour and you're going to be looking for a glove. There are some ergonomically designed gloves to improve blood flow. There are some ergonomically designed gloves that are to pad around the, the nerves. I think it's like your shoe and your saddle choice. It takes a good fitter and some good advice. Don't buy gloves off the glove rack without advice. That'd be my... Or because of the color. Or because of the color. <laughs> wait, wait for them to come back in order and get off back order and get the bright yellow gloves that you that you so desire. But I, th- I think that, that bar design, hood placement, hood design, bar tape, all those things have really improved the hand issues. I've been riding my bike chronically for 50 years. I've got arthritic wrists, not from my bike. Right? I got it from work, play, <laughs> yeah. uh, crashes. So I'm pretty careful about my hand position, but I wear a minimalist glove. I cannot stand a lot of glove in my hand. I want to be able to feel the handlebar. Yeah. So this might be a little old school, and you said that they're debating this now. But I was always told if you have a really good bike fit, Mm -hmm. when you're in your position on the bike, you should be able to lift your hands Mm -hmm. off the handlebars without falling forward. If your core strength is adequate, I still I think you should be able to be riding along in the hoods and take your hands off the hoods and have your torso position not change. That's perfection. Not everybody can do it, but that's perfection. That tells me that your core strength, your tipping point, you're right at your balance point, right? So your torso angle is at a place where your core strength can handle it. Your bar position, hood position, stem length, et cetera, are at a place that mat- match that. Absolutely. I, I, so I, do, I still do believe it. Okay, Nick. Neck. Ah. Neck. And do we talk about RAM and taping your helmet to your neck? <laughs> Shermer's neck. So the neck's just part of the spine. So we go back to those Lego blocks with the deli donut in between them. They're just smaller. Uh, we have a similar curvature in our neck as we do in our spine. So the cervical curvature is also lordotic. 
the discs, if we place them at risk, right, under load, such as an aggressive position where you're having to look down the road, that disc is going to deform. Looking down the road tends to deform the disc anteriorly, where in the low back, the disc protrudes posteriorly because we're turning the spine the opposite direction. So handlebar position, reach, etc., are are really crucial in protecting the neck or treating the neck. So there are cyclists who have had disc disease from a really aggressive position. That disc disease is then addressed, physical therapy, cortisone injection, surgery, whatever it is. We put them in a more conservative or upright position until things heal, just like the Sylvain Chavanel story, and we gradually can bring them back down to wherever they're asymptomatic, as low as, as, low as they can go and still stay asymptomatic. So neck pain, the, the bad ones are, are disc-related. The not-so-bad ones are muscular. You're holding up this 15-pound pumpkin using, so when we're upright, it's a balancing act, right? So there's, it's like guy wires, yeah. uh, a tent in the wind holding up our head when we're upright. But as soon as we put ourselves in a bike position, we're having to hold our, our head up using the erector muscles at the back of the, back of the shoulder and back of the neck. And they just are going to fatigue, especially if you're a novice uh, or you're going from a cruiser to a gravel bike. That, that's training. A lot of that is training to get yourself strong enough to hold yourself up. Now, the race across America, you mentioned ram injuries, the Shermer's neck. Wow. So that guy, uh, he rode so long in the aero position, he fatigued his entire system and could not hold his head up. So he actually taped his helmet, you know, to his back. To, uh, that, and they placed a little, uh, uh, a bar and a platform for wow. his chin uh, to ki- continue the race. <laughs> that is not a bike fit solution that I would use. That's a, that's a psychological issue at that point. <laughs> I, that, that's where you start going, this might not be the healthiest cycling activity you can yeah. do. Well, no, so he was trying to be arrow for yep. 20 hours a day, and that's... Probably not. I've, I've fit a lot of the Ram guys, and, and you try to find a place, a conservative place, where they can be comfortable for those number of hours of bike a day. And then you put some arrow bars on there, and they actually refer to them as resting bars. Mm. It's just another position just so they can move sure, around on sure. the bike a little bit so they can rest in that arrow position. Those are my resting bars. My resting bars. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have hand numbness, tingling, upper extremity tingling after cycling, You've got a nerve root that is being irritated, so I would I'd be careful with that that transient tingling or numbness in hands that are associated with cycling. That's that's a kind of a red flag. So I know you've worked with a, a a lot of pro riders over the years and had to do some minor tweaks to, for some and major tweaks for others, and uh, it's fascinating to me that even the best cyclists in the world benefit from yep. bike fits, and I'm not. I'm sorry to admit this. I've only had one bike fit in my life. Um, we're gonna but, fi- we're gonna fix that. I know, but uh, <laughs> but I'm a macro absorber. I think. I just want to understand from your perspective how influential, how beneficial this bike fit process can be for the novice to the professional. So I think you're alluding to Peter Sagan. You know, there's a guy with gigantic motor, gigantic talent. And if you've ever watched his core strengthening routine on YouTube, he's got amazing flexibility and amazing strength. But all of us have something, either an injury that's created a weakness or there, there's something about us that's, that's not perfect. Mm-hmm. And with modern bike fit technologies and solutions, we can, we can really represent those and, and support those. So 
everybody, I mean, everybody deserves bike fit. And there's not a professional team that doesn't have a professional bike fit consultant these days. Every professional team has that. Does that mean they deserve it and the lady who wants to do her first ragbri doesn't deserve it? I think the lady who wants to do her first ragbri probably deserves and needs it more mm-hmm. than the super athlete. Everybody should consider true bike fitting. And I don't mean a um, sizing, right? I don't mean what to do to, to buy a new bike. You want to make sure you're on the right size. That does not mean that that manufacturer guessed exactly what stem length you need or what stem angle you need or what bar width you need. They do the best job they can of fitting this big bell-shaped curve of humanity. But I don't care if it's a $500 bike or a $1,000 bike. I've known people who've spent more on their bike fit than they did on their bike. People may think I'm trying to pad my own nest, but it is the best money spent if you want to ride a bicycle comfortably. Mm -hmm. And powerfully. And powerfully. No doubt about it. There is a direct connection. Truly. Comfort and performance go together. Yep. yep. All right, Trevor. You're up first this week. You're on the clock. One minute. What are your best tips for cycling, preventing cycling injuries and, and, and fitting in general? So this is just a, something I want to add. A long time ago, you gave me a list of six exercises that you said every cyclist should do these. They Because... Something like 70% of cycling injuries can be prevented by doing these six exercises. I put that into a routine. I gave it to all my athletes. And so really my take home is we will post those, those six exercises. So it's clamshells and, yep. and bridge uh, your uh, planks, exercises yep. like that. Yep. We'll post it on the website. And I, yep. all I can say is do that four or five times a week. It takes 10 minutes. Yep. It's like brushing your teeth, like, like flossing. And once you get into the routine, it just becomes, it's a good habit. It's one of those yeah. good habits. So Dr. Pruitt, you've, you've got one minute. Learn the difference between the pain of injury and the pain of exertion. Pain of injury doesn't go away when the effort's over or when the ride's over. The pain of exertion lets up when you let up. And a lot of people have trouble discerning the difference between the two. So the way you'll avoid injury is by recognizing that that was a pain that didn't go away as soon as I stopped. I, sh- I, should, I should address that. Mm-hmm. So that, that, I think that's my, my, my kind of underlying tip that goes along with the exercises I gave Trevor. Uh, you want to send me that program, Trevor? No. <laughs> um, but I still bet you that I still recommend the same six exercises because they've, they've been useful over, over time. But that differentiating between the pain of physical exertion and the pain of injury I think that if you really can dial into those two different things, you won't get injured. And you can hit it off at the pass. Bike fit, wow. We have eliminated a dozen different surgeries that were designed to address cyclists with bike fit technology and bike fit solutions. And that's saddles, that's knees, that's... Please, no, everybody deserves a professional bike fit. And just to, to add to that for some of you out there, bike fit doesn't mean just aerodynamics. <laughs> yeah. That, that yeah. is very old school. My one minute would start off with don't ignore it. If there is a problem, there's a problem. Don't take that hard man mentality. Biking, riding a bike does not have to hurt. It's supposed to be joyful. That, that would be my 30-second tip. Just don't ignore the pain if there is pain. And to go back to your, there's, there's different types of pain, but if there's a real problem, address it. 
and don't think that you have to have this hard man mentality when being on a bike. But I like the hard man mentality. And so does Trevor. <laughs> I know. If it doesn't, so I think Peter Sagan is the hardest man I've ever met. And I would like to assure people he's got a great bike fit. <laughs> but he is a hard guy. And I think our sport. Don't be stubborn. There you go. Don't Maybe be that's... stubborn about these things. Again, what's your issue here? <laughs> <laughs> if you can't sit on your saddle for more than an hour, there right. is a certain, there is a problem that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. Yeah. So ignore penile numbness. That is not hard man. No, that, that is, is dumb man. That is stupid. <laughs> that is plain stupid. Yeah. I don't know if we... <laughs> Oh, no, we're including that. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> if you can't have a hard penis, then you aren't a hard man. This is true. <laughs> and with that. <laughs> Cut. Awesome. Thank Perfect. you. That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at velonews.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And please be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. The more people that leave comments and rate us on iTunes, the more people we'll reach. While you're there, check out our sister podcast, the Velo News Podcast. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash News and on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. Fast Talk is a joint production between Velo News and Connor Coaching. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Andy Pruitt, Evan Huffman, Colby Pierce, Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.